Welcome to Delaware Legislative Hall, home to one of the oldest and smallest General Assemblies in the country. Our legislature in Delaware is special. In our state, you know the people who represent you. You see them at the grocery stores. You may have their cell phone numbers. And you can sit on the floor of the House of Representatives to see the legislative process play out in front of you. Delawareans truly have more access to their government than many other places in the country. But there's still so much more that goes on behind the scenes. This podcast is about pulling back the curtain and giving you a glimpse into how small actions can make big change. In later episodes, we will be discussing the history of the building and the people who work here, successes and failures that come along with legislating, and hopefully help you get to know your elected officials better. For staff like us in Legislative Hall, we get to see this every day. But when you first start here, there's a lot of learning to do. So we thought we'd start with the basics, how a bill becomes a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Okay, maybe not that basic. But really, have you ever wondered who actually comes up with an idea for a bill? Who writes it? Or even what color paper it's printed on? Hundreds of bills are introduced in each General Assembly. Sometimes these bills are small. Other times they're big proposals. But they all start with an idea. Sometimes these ideas come from organizations with people who care about a specific issue and are looking for legislators to support their cause. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, this is Whip Count. Uh, Good afternoon. My name is Brenna Goggin. I'm the Director of Advocacy and External Affairs for Delaware Nature Society. Delaware Nature Society is a 501c3, so we're a nonprofit organization. And often, one of the most oftentimes questions that I'm asked is, well, if you're a C3, you can't lobby or do any type of advocacy. And it's like, well, actually, no, the IRS says that we can and encourages us to do so, but we do it differently than what you would consider a contract lobbyist or another type of lobbyist. Um, So first and foremost, we spend a lot of time educating elected officials, educating them on what we do and how we operate as a nonprofit organization, an environmental nonprofit organization, and why the environment is so important. Um, So how is it important to their constituents? How is it important to their community? And how does it impact them? Um, And then by providing that education and kind of bringing us into their community and constituency, we then encourage them to make decisions on legislation that would have the environment in mind. And so with the education process, does that involve, you know, letters, um, you know, meetings, kind of what does that all involve in terms of like trying to, um, you know, get the lawmaker to understand your point of view? So it's a multifaceted approach. Uh, To build the relationship, first and foremost, we ask Uh, legislators to come out and meet with us at our sites or our location. Um, There's no better way to educate folks than through visuals and showing them on the ground work. So regardless of how you might come at meeting with decision makers, bringing them out to see where you are and the problems that you want them to address is the best way to go about doing that. And then of course, we follow up with letters, emails, phone calls. Uh, The second Uh, question that I get most often is, well, what's the best way to contact legislators? And absolutely positively an in-person meeting, if you can do it, whether that's a coffee in their local district um, or setting up a meeting here in Legislative Hall or the Wilmington office, do so because that's the most effective. So if if a change in legislation is going to directly impact you or impact your community uh, or impact your family, what is that story and why does it need to be told and what can they do about it? That works whether you're asking them to support something or oppose it. 
and then building that relationship further, following up with a, I think, a handwritten note is always a nice touch. Um, whether they have done the action that you wanted them to do or not, I think still builds that rapport. And if you've provided them with that factual information, you have now given yourself up as a resource that they can call on for future pieces of legislation in that same arena. How important do you think it is, like you mentioned, to have that real person's story? How critical is that to the whole advocacy component? I think it's a game changer. Uh, when I've had conversations with legislators about what has been the most effective in getting to change their mind um, or what's, what resonates with them, uh, when a constituent comes to meet with them, they're like their story. One thing that they hate most, and this goes against like everything that nonprofits stand for in some regards, are the um, cut and paste letters that we send out that say, you know, take action now. We all want to feel good about the fact that we did that. So we fill out our address and hit the send button. But it's a cut and paste letter. Uh, and legislators really want to know what it means to you. Um, one of the things as a lifelong Delaware resident that I cherish about our state is how accessible our legislators and legislative hall is to its residents. Um, we are unique in what we, how accessible our legislators are um, and how willing they are and able to meet with in this building or at a coffee shop or running into them at the grocery store or running into Joe Biden at the Green Hill or the Greenville Blue Ha Ha. Like those don't happen elsewhere. You know, running on the treadmill for Senator Carper uh, at the Y. Like that, that is something to be very proud of. Um, and we should take advantage of that and encourage people to take advantage of those opportunities um, to get in front of their legislators and tell their stories. It all starts with an idea. Like that's the most important thing. People think that um, they don't really have an opportunity to participate. And it's like, no, really, if you're facing a dilemma in your community, you making somebody aware of that could spark the idea that introduces legislation that will address that issue. And so making sure that people are communicating what that is, is one of the key steps that you can do. While some ideas come from the grassroots, other times, government agencies are the driving force behind legislation and are asked to provide guidance. Um, my name is Saran Cade. I'm Secretary of Labor for the state of Delaware. So uh, at the beginning of, at the end of every uh, legislative session, um, I, I like to get together with our staff and do two things. One, go over all of the pieces of legislation that have passed that impact the agency. Uh, make sure that, you know, it's nothing that slipped through the cracks that we missed. That happens a lot. We get 400 bills coming through. And, you know, especially for a smaller agency like the Department of Labor, you know, we don't have a assigned legislative person to do it. So most of the times if things are really big, they come to our attention, we catch them. Uh, but sometimes you may have bills that may not necessarily directly impact you, but they may in indirectly uh, uh, impact the agency or, or your mission or what you're trying to get accomplished. And you literally had no idea that it, it passed. So we try to collect all of those, figure out you know, not just things that impact the agency, but also things that impact the secretary. So sometimes we love task force bills and 
putting together special groups and stuff and you know sometimes they mention the secretary of labor in there so but no one will tell you that you were <laughs> that you were added to a commission so you sometimes you just get a call uh we've got a commission meeting coming up about you know investigating you know nfl grants and the secretary of labor is on there you have no idea why um, <laughs> and so uh so we go through that process at the end of session uh in the summer to go through those bills see what things we have we, you know what our timelines are when things have to be implemented um but then the second part of that meeting is identifying things that we wanted to get accomplished that we could not legislatively figuring out why and trying to outline how we're going to address the upcoming year whether it be a situation where we've got to engage with stakeholders or um you know figure out funding uh what have you and then the, the, you know we we you know as a part of that we also look at well what are the things that we want to do and mind you this is right after session because we recognize that we can't just stroll in in January and just say, hey guys, we've got an agenda. Um, so we go through that process very meticulously throughout the summer. Then we engage with the governor's office to make sure that it's aligned with the things that we wanna do are aligned with his schedule. And then we start convening members of the General Assembly, stakeholders, you know, other folks, and we try to put you know, pen to paper and figure out how and if we should move forward with some of our pie-in-the-sky wishless items. So um, it is uh, an exhausting process um, because you don't control the legislature. You don't control, you can't introduce legislation as an agency. Um, and so it really depends on identifying a legislator that has, you know, uh, the same types of goals or maybe something that they had a focus on and uh, engaging with them. And sometimes it means engaging with a legislator who you know is going to be adamantly opposed to <laughs> to what you want to do just to get an understanding of what, if anything, you can do to make it more palatable uh, uh, for them. So it's a, it's a multitude of things, and, and, and you know, but it's a labor of love. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so when people, um, when they talk about, you know, like an agency bill or mm -hmm. bills that come from the agency, do you draw from, you know, the experiences of, you know, your staff and mm -hmm. kind of what they see working in the community yeah. to kind of like, you know, kind of advise the, you know, lawyers and legislators how to write the specific bill? Yeah, so um, we're lucky enough to have um, uh, members of the attorney general's office who are assigned to each one of our agencies. So we have deputy attorney generals who, um, when we do have issues that we want to draft or we want to present to the legislature, they can draft mock legislation um, to present to the legislature if they're things that, you know, we want to focus on. Some of them come from things that the staff is seeing on the ground, um, those are a lot harder. It's a lot harder to get those through because they're typically things that only your staff are experiencing. Much easier to get something through when everyone knows about it and it's an active you know, issue and uh, area. So we run into that problems a lot, problem a lot, especially with regard to labor law, because it's not really a sexy thing that people like to talk about, um, but you know, whether it be discrimination, sexual harassment, uh, other forms of fraud in the workplace. Um, these are things that our investigators see on a daily basis that may not hit the front page news, but they have real impact on people's lives um, and can kind of take the dignity out of a job. 
uh, in a lot of regard. And um, these are things that depress wages and have a you know broader impact on the economy. And so it's hard sometimes when you're dealing with situations where you know you see it, but may not maybe not everybody else sees it. So uh, then you have to go through the process of kind of doing reports to educate the public on the issue. And you've got to engage legislators, invite them in to meet with your investigators and talk to them and really kind of go on a full-fledged um, uh, uh, campaign, so to say, to make sure that they see the things that you see and recognize their importance. Um, and so those are issues that kind of come from the agency. Sometimes it's as simple as there's a federal regulatory change and we've got to do some housekeeping to make sure that you know, uh, uh, the federal government doesn't take funding away or, uh, uh, you know, levy sanctions against us. And so um, those are pretty easy most of the time because I can just come and say the federal government made me do it. And typically legislators tend to uh, <laughs> be a little bit more receptive to that than if I just we just showed up and said this is something that we think is important. Um, because nobody wants to lose those federal dollars uh, or, or the federal resources uh, for our programming. So it's a mixed bag. It just depends on, you know, what we mean by agency bill. Could be an agency bill is just a housekeeping measure to keep up with the times. A lot of times, especially nowadays, that comes with, like, for example, um, there are ways written into state code that you're supposed to alert the public. And so there's some sections of our law, which, you know, even recently had areas in code which says that, you know, you have to put it in a newspaper article for, or a newspaper for X amount of days, where we know that today in 2020, uh, a lot of people may not consider that adequate public, you know, knowledge. Or, you know, it's a language that says that you have to, you know, mail things and send things, you know, uh, 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 you know through sale mail in order to alert the, the, the person. And so recently you see agencies coming in and asking for bills that allow for you to use email instead of, you know, direct mail to alert, you know, uh, residents of changes or things that are impacting them. And so um, those typically are agency bills, but those, again, those are the easy ones. Uh, the hard ones are when you see a problem that isn't necessarily something that the vast majority of the public is really looking at. And I guess in, in that case, um, but how do you kind of like build your argument? Is it different than when we talked to Brenna about, you know, how an advocacy, a traditional advocacy right. organization works? Is it any different than that? Do you have to employ different strategies when you talk to legislators or is it kind of the same? I can see how some folks would see it as the, the same. I, I would say that it kind of depends on the, the, the issue because um, sometimes you could be in that position and be playing defense. Sometimes you could be in that position and be playing offense. You know, from an advocacy group, you can pretty much always play offense. Uh, this is the issue we want and we want to move forward and uh, with something that we want to, to change. And that's all great, but a lot of times we've got to play defense because we're serving constituents of members of the General Assembly. So some of the things that we want to change, constituents really want to see them change. Sometimes constituents, you know, don't really want to see them change. And not only, and so if our advocacy group, you may not have to worry about all of the constituency concerns, but as an agency, you've got to do the right thing and you've got to think about the fact that you're serving the public. And so, you know, when you're, you know, so you get it from both sides, you know, whereas an advocacy group, they may only have their back and forth with the legislator and their own personal interests. 
we've got our back and forth with the legislature. You know, if we wanted to change something around discrimination, we're communicating with the legislature. Meanwhile, we're communicating with all of our, you know, clients who are coming to the agency complaining about the very issue that we want to change. Uh, you know, and we're also dealing with other stakeholders, businesses, because mind you, we're an enforcement agency as well. So we're out here enforcing the law. There's a problem with it. We've got to deal with it with the folks that we're enforcing it against, and we've got to deal with it from the folks who are, you know, making the law or developing the law. So you can end up playing offense and defense at the exact same time. Whereas if you're an advocacy group, you know, all you really need is the support of your supporters, um, and you're perfectly fine. You can kind of tune out the, 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 the real, you know, not the real world aspect of it, but you can kind of tune out the day to day blocking and tackling aspect of it. Now some, you know, nonprofit organizations, advocacy groups are also connected to service-driven nonprofit organizations who are kind of in the muck and doing that work. And, you know, they'll have to, they 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 do kind of, you know, have that same scenario. But I'm specifically talking about just an advocacy group who has a specific issue. They're not providing services in the community, but you know, they're advocating for a cause that they believe in. It's just a I'm not going to say it's easier, um, but it's a different dynamic. When you get to the point where you have a piece of legislation, you know, it's endorsed by your agency, um, and you you might be called to testify in the committee process. How do you prepare for for that? For today, because <laughs> <laughs> we got to uh, build for workplace fraud. This in uh, Senate committee, probably about 30 minutes right now, and. Um, you know, the good part about it is, you know, especially with a bill like this, we've been working on it for over a year. So our preparation has been the negotiation process between our various stakeholders to get buy-in. And so, you know, when you go through that process, you know, it's pretty easy to know a bill back and front and soup to nuts. The hard ones are when it's not your bill, but it impacts you your agency and somebody shows up and is like, hey, this is a bill in committee which has D Department of Labor written all over it and you haven't seen it, you don't know what's going on, why they're introducing it, no one talked to you beforehand. You know, those are the hard ones because then you have to kind of do a crash course in whatever the subject matter is and you know, given you know the subject matter, then you have to do a, get a you know full understanding of what brought this to fruition because um, th sometimes the ideas behind a, a law can really, or, or a bill or initiative can really impact uh, its implementation. It can impact, you know, the arguments behind it for or against. And so um, trying to play catch up in, in that is probably one of the harder things. And a lot of times in, that, in those situations um, where you're not really in it at the beginning, you have to do a lot of cleanup legislation because there are things that, you know, maybe may seem common sense to the legislator and they put it in the bill, but it's difficult for us to implement for numerous other reasons that, you know, they may not be aware of unless they're in the agency. So we've got to come in, do cleanup, you know, and all these other, you know, things that and sometimes can impact the intentions of the bill. And so now you're coming in at the last second with a bill that you kind of agree with and you're making changes so that you can implement it. And you got one group saying, oh, well, you're trying to kill the bill. It's like, no, I'm not trying to kill it. I'm trying to make sure that we can implement it effectively. Um, and so it's just a matter of communication. And, and, and so uh, that was a easier situation than some of the hard ones where 
you've got a, a bill that comes in at the last minute that you don't agree with that impacts your agency. Um, and those are kind of the tougher ones. So we've heard from people who create and advocate for legislation, but when someone wants a bill passed, they have to find a legislator to move it forward. We talked to Newark Representative Paul Bombach about his role in the process. So uh, we have bill ideas, ideas for legislation coming to us sometimes on our own, sometimes from our staff, sometimes uh, from our district, sometimes coming from groups across the state or even across the country. Uh, and each one's path is unique, but there's certainly things in common. So um, we'll get the idea, we'll typically uh, do a little bit of research ourselves, uh, we'll reach out to the group, get some more information of what's behind it, if there's a group involved. Um, we'll often look at other states that are doing uh, things in the same area and find out how um, they're successful and what they have in their laws. Uh, and then at some point we'll introduce the bill, uh, it'll be assigned to a committee, uh, the committee will schedule the bill to be heard. We'll, that's going to be advertised in advance, uh, usually two or three days in advance. Um, and then that's something in which we'll reach out to, again, the, the advocates, the, uh, the stakeholders, the advocacy groups, to let them know next Wednesday at 2.30 uh, we have a committee hearing where that bill will be heard. We'd love to have you come forward, uh, maybe to testify there, maybe to send emails to the members of that committee in advance to, sharing your support and your reasons for your support. Um, and uh, having people come down is wonderful. Uh, we have opportunities. Uh, the process is the bill gets uh, introduced to the committee. The committee sponsor speaks about it. The committee members will discuss it. And then we go to public comments so that everyone who's at that committee hearing has an opportunity to sign up and say, I want to speak about this bill. Um, and then their, their name will be called. They will have usually about two minutes to speak about the bill. They can also submit written testimony that goes to all the committee members uh, and is part of the legislative record. Uh, and then the legislators will, in the committee will speak about it and will ultimately vote usually to release or to table the bill. Um, and then once the bill gets, if it gets released, it's now almost known as the House Ready List. Uh, in time, the House leadership will select a date for it to be heard on the House floor. It'll be added to what's known as the House agenda, again, released in advance so that you know it's coming. And if you're an advocate who's been working uh, for this or you know, part of a group that's been working for this, uh, you know, hopefully you'll, you'll learn about it being on the House floor coming up. Uh, and uh, we don't know when during the day, but you know which day it's, it's on the agenda. You're invited to come down. If you reach out to the legislator, we may be able to reserve a seat for you on the floor, which is really unique to Delaware, one of the very few legislatures where a member of the public can be sitting on the floor as the House is deliberating. Um, it's uncommon for a member of a stakeholder group to actually testify on the House floor. Um, usually it's only an expert witness if it's a question that comes up from one legislator where the bill sponsoring, bill sponsoring legislator is unable to answer it on their own. Um, but most often it's just legislators are speaking to each other uh, at that time for the uh, House testimony. And then the, um, then the uh, legislators will typically get to the point of voting for it. Um, now, I should uh, point out that unlike the movies, uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, um, the House floor, the debate, uh, sometimes it's just pro forma, where it's already known that we've got 38 votes out of 41 for it and it's going to fly. Uh, so it's, uh, it's usually less um, unnerving and less uh, nerve-wracking uh, than the committee hearing. The committee hearing is where really the bill gets a much uh, deeper vetting. Um, and a lot of uh, more in-depth discussions are, are had uh, between legislators and with information from the public. 
Um, the House uh, floor vote is as important or more important, but it's a little bit less exciting. The um, you know, legislation I've had, I've had legislation um, that has come to me literally on the tennis court, where I had some constituents on the court next to me hand me a magazine about an issue and say, you know, Paul, can you please you know, push this forward? I've door knocked and had a, a couple pointed out that uh, their son had a minor uh, marijuana arrest, lost his driver's license, and wasn't able to keep, uh, and there's an exception, you can keep driving if you have a, a job, but there was an exception if you need your car to get to college and continue a degree. So I said, that's a good reason to, let's look and see in legislation to fix that. So, you know, we'll get ideas just from individuals out in the community, um, and we also will have organizations that come to us and say, uh, we've got a problem, you know, and it, this could be teachers, it could be environmentalists, uh, it can be business leaders, it can be, you know, come from anywhere. Um, one thing that we understand, we've got lobbyists down here, and we've got organizations that are darn well organized, and they do a great job um, in uh, bringing issues to us, both issues they want, issues they want to avoid. Um, and we, we, we as legislators work with them, you know, very respectfully. Uh, frankly, um, the more grassroots, the more um, you're just, you quote, you're just someone who lives in the community, uh, we're gonna listen to you more. We don't hear from you much, so we put more weight in that. Um, so, you know, when I'm door knocking, I hear a bill idea, I'm gonna jump on that, because it doesn't happen that often. Lobbyist comes in with an idea, I hear that all the time, so I may, you know, work on one out of five of those ideas. But, so, you know, I don't think you should be, you actually should be excited about not being a lobbyist and having some really great ideas <clears throat> that will be received better, I think, by, by most legislators down here. And, and for that matter, I, you know, let me now go back and, and praise the lobbyist groups. If you take, you know, groups, lobbyists sometimes is thought of as a four-letter word, there's lobbyist groups that, that work for heart health, you know, the Heart Association, Lung Association. There's, you know, the, the uh, Sierra Club, you know, uh, various uh, environmental groups. You know, a lobbyist doesn't mean that uh, it's working for folks who are working against you as a citizen. They're often working for you as a citizen. Um, so uh, I like the access we have to the citizens. I like the access we have to the lobbyists, both, I'll say, the white hat lobbyists and maybe the black hat lobbyists. They all have perspectives it's important for us to know. Um, we as legislators love hearing from all of them, but we do have an extra special place in our heart to hear from Joe and Jane Delaware. Uh, just you know, folks who do not, it's not their job, uh, it's not uh, their habit, but they have an idea they think is a really good idea. They wanna get it to a legislator and see uh, if it's something we can do to, to improve things here in Delaware. Many people have ideas, and it's the legislator's job to guide those ideas through the legislative process. But an idea can't become a law until it's written out into what we know as a bill. Uh, my name is Michelle Skaransky. I am a legislative attorney, specifically for the House of Representatives, the Majority Caucus. So if they have any legal questions, anything they want drafted, bills, task forces, um, anything like that, resolutions, they would contact me and my associates and we would get it drafted for them. Bills start with an idea. How do you kind of handle when someone comes to you with an idea for a bill or resolution and then putting that into actual, you know, legislative language? <laughs> sure. So normally um, a constituent or someone from maybe a governmental body or an administrative agency will contact the representative. Um, and say, hey, I have this idea or I have this need, um, I have this problem, um, can you help me? Uh, the representative 
will contact me and say this is what you know we're kind of looking to do um, and then we'd work together as a team um, consulting with the constituents uh, consulting with um, maybe the government bodies that are related to this piece of legislation that they want done um, other attorneys and other areas of the government and we work together as a team to draft whatever the representative might need um, so sometimes I'll get just a blanket idea and I look at the code, figure out where it would go, draft what I believe would fix the issue, and then sometimes I'm presented with a bill that might already be drafted by someone and I have to review it, um, make it fit into our um, drafting guidelines so it would fit uniformly into the code. So sometimes the representative might say, oh, the state of Maryland or Pennsylvania has this program or they do this and we would love to implement that in Delaware. Mm -hmm. So I could look into other states, see what they've done, see what works. Um, and then I have to figure out where it would go in our actual code because every state has their own uh, code or um, laws and I would have to figure out where it would go and how it would fit into what we already have. Um, so sometimes, yes, I'll look at other states. Um, other times we might be the first state coming up with a really cool idea and we would figure out how we would create it on our own. So normally if I'm drafting something from scratch, um, I look at the code. Um, you can read it in a book because uh, we have it printed in books, or you can go online, which is great. Um, Delaware keeps their code up to date, so I'll go online, see what we already have, figure out where it would go, and then I would start drafting the actual language. Um, we have our own drafting manual. It's a legislative drafting manual, so we have a specific way that we like to word certain things, um, how things are numbered, so every portion of the code theoretically would... Um, be within the same drafting guidelines. Um, we have certain words that we have to use um, because being a lawyer, every single word is important. So you might have may or must or shall. Um, and it's very, very important how you actually word things, sometimes how you even number things where a comma might go. Um, so you have to be very, very attentive to the detail because you're trying to create something that theoretically Delawareans are going to use for many, many years. And then it has to be applied by a normal person, a lay person, and then it also has to be interpreted uh, by the courts if there is ever a disagreement over that. And there is always a disagreement, which is why I'll always have a job as a lawyer. <laughs> so you want to try to make things as direct as possible, um, as clear as possible, and um, to fit what the representative really needs done. So you must know the code like backwards and forwards and just intimately. <laughs> I definitely know the family court sections of the code for sure. And every day I learn something new about another area of the code, whether it's a tax bill. Um, I wrote one about maintaining cemeteries, which was cool because that's something you might not ever need to look at. Um, so every day I might be looking at a different area of the code. I'm learning about something new, and it's just always very exciting. The law is always changing. Um, the culture in the state's always changing, um, and you always have fresh ideas coming out of the house, which is really cool.
Beyond the way a bill is written, the House has rules governing how it moves through the system and leaders who make decisions that could decide its fate. I'm Pete Schwarzkopf. I represent the 14th District, which is the Rehoboth, Dewey, and parts of the Lewis area. Speaker of the House going on seven years. Uh, so a bill gets put into draft form. It gets circulated around um, by email to all the members, see who wants to jump on as a sponsor uh, or not. And then it, it, um, it gets introduced um, either pre-filed or from the floor. Uh, and then after it's introduced, then I assign bills to committee. And I have some guidelines that I, I follow. Depending on the code, it could be, you know, if it's a motor vehicle code, uh, Title 21 would go to public safety. Uh, you know, if, if it's a health, it goes to the health, uh, the, the health committee. Um, and then there are some that could go in two or three or four different committees sometimes, and I'll just pick the best committee, I think, for that will the bill usually will stand the best chance of getting out of. Are there specific time limits for, you know, how long bills have to be heard in committee? You know, like yeah, there's, we have a 12-day rule, but it's 12 legislative days, not calendar days. Um, we have a 12-day rule. It basically says that all bills uh, should have action taken on them um, within the 12 days. After 12 days, then the uh, anybody, really, would have the right to petition that bill out of committee with a majority vote. I do know that it was done one time by me. <laughs> That's why I know it. Um, because I, they, would, they refused to give me a hearing. They refused to schedule anything at that time. So I went around, got 21 signatures, and uh, we voted it out of committee. But that's, that was only because I didn't get a committee hearing. I believe in the committee process. If a bill goes in committee and it has a hearing and it just doesn't make it out of committee, you don't get the majority vote to get it out of committee, then you go back and you work harder and try to get it out of committee. You make changes to the bill so that you can get it out of committee. For the most part, bills uh, get out of committee and they go on the ready list. And so when the bill goes on the ready list, um, you know, what happens next? It, that means it goes it, It's on the ready list. We have a request list that uh, members are uh, supposed to fill out and, uh, and they'll request it to be heard. And then we sit up here and make an agenda. Uh, but look at all the bills that are on the ready list. Look at the ones that are requested to be on the, on the agenda. And I put together agendas. And so when the bill comes to the floor, can you kind of walk us through, you know, procedurally what happens with the member asking? The prime sponsor of, of the bill will be called upon, uh, and they ask to have the bill read in for the third and final time and brought before the House. Um, so we satisfy the procedural stuff, and then the prime sponsor will explain the bill, um, tell, usually tell what code it, it, it amends and what, bill, what, what section and what title it would amend um, <clears throat> or impact. And they explain it to the rest of the to the chamber. Now, uh, in our case, we have caucus meetings, uh, and the other side has caucus meetings as well. I don't know what they do in their caucus meetings, but we talk about the bills in ours, and we discuss the bills. So we, we pretty much know what the bill does or does not do before we hit the floor. Um, but the uh, the sponsor talks about the bill on the floor and explains it, and if they do a good job of explaining it, then they call for a roll call, and the bill passes if they did a good job. If they haven't done a good job, or if the bill is very um, controversial or something of that nature, then uh, it might pass, it might not pass. When you kind of manage a debate, what are some of the different terminology or just different you know, rules you kind of have to abide by? Well, one, you have to be courteous to each other on the floor, and that's in our rules. Um, <clears throat> you can have a discussion and disagree with people, but you have to be civil about it. Um, and we very rarely have to bring somebody back in line. 
uh, every once in a while somebody may say something they didn't intend to say and they regret it the minute they say it and you can tell when that happens. So if I hear it, I usually bang gavel or I'll tell them to straighten it up. Um, but other than that, it's, uh, you know, all the discussion comes for the speaker. So if, there's, if, there's, if the sponsor of the bill is sitting there talking, they're actually talking to the speaker and everybody else is listening. And then whoever wants to debate it or have a question, they would put their hand up and stand up and then I will call on them in, a, in the order of which they let me know they wanted to speak. So, but all discussion, I'm like a, a traffic police officer up top. You know, all the information comes to me and I decide where it goes. So it, it's, it's really interesting because I can read the room very, very well. And you can tell, I can tell when a bill starts, whether it's going to be a controversial bill, whether, whether it's going to be a lot of questions or no questions, just by looking at what's going on. If there's a lot of movement going on, there's not going to be any questions. They're, they're just sitting there waiting to go to a roll call. If they're stopped and they're looking and everything, and then I know that there's going to be certain people. And then I have certain people that like to stand up and talk and ask questions. So I usually look at those few people first to make sure that they're not interested in, in uh, getting up and asking any questions. But it's, uh, I will say one thing. You sit up there and you're running the show. Um, and you get distracted a lot of different times. There's a lot of people come up, talk to me, or something's going on over here that I'm, I'm looking at, and I gotta look at, I'm looking around the room. But occasionally, all of a sudden you hear, you, you realize it's totally silent. And you try to rerun the last two seconds in your head to figure out exactly who said what. And, uh, and you realize everybody's looking at you, waiting for you to say something. And it's kind of, um, uh, it's it's interesting. You're, it, I mean, being speaker, you're a focal point. Like I said, everything comes through you, and then when it stops, when everything stops, you realize it's you that's messed up, and you have to figure out exactly what, what the next plan is. And sometimes you just have to be honest and say, hey, back that up just a couple seconds. I, I was distracted. I need to hear what you just said. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's an honor to sit up there. I, I can tell you that right now. It's, uh, you're chosen by all 41 people to represent them sitting in that chair. So that part of it is, I, it's, it's, you don't forget that part. And you try to be fair to everybody. You try to give everybody their say, uh, even though you may disagree with them vehemently. Um, but they're here representing their districts in front of uh, the rest of us, just like everybody else is. And uh, it's, it's an interesting place. There's 41 people there. They have 41 different walks of life, 41 different ways of doing the same thing. And uh, they're not my employees. I can't fire them and, or, or, or you know, pay them extra or anything like this. So we have to be fair to each other and, and make sure that we, we work together in a congenial manner, whether we agree on what we're doing or not. So a bill is an idea that's written down, heard in committee, and voted on by legislators. But in Legislative Hall, the bill is an actual physical document that takes a journey of its own. It all looks seamless because there's a group of staff members always making sure that bill is where it needs to be. Hi, I'm uh, Rich Puffer. I'm the chief clerk of the Delaware House of Representatives, and I've been chief clerk since 2009. So the idea comes from agencies, it comes from constituents, uh, model legislation throughout the United States, and a, and a house attorney or uh, someone from the Division of Research will essentially formulate the bill, put it into legalese, into our, our, format, our, our format that we use here. And once that bill is released to me, I'll number it. I will then um, kind of compile the bill's 
that have been released for that day, like uh, say a session day, a Tuesday, uh, first day of the week that we're back. And I'll, I'll talk with the speaker about where he wants bills assigned to, which committees. Uh, and then they are released to uh, the website through a process called, well, there's two ways to do it, but the, the, the normal process that we use is what's called a pre-file. A pre-file is just the combination of all the bills, House Bill 1 through 10, um, for example, what committees they're in. We go on the floor at 2 o'clock. Um, usually by about 2.20, that list of bills is released out to the public. So once that bill is released um, and that uh, there's a printed sheet, pre-file sheet, that's sent out to everybody, all the members. They get copies on the desks when we first start um, the session. Um, and then that bill is then slotted into, so say it's just an example, House Bill 55. It goes into the Agriculture Committee. Um, at that point, then, we have a position here at the House uh, called the Bill Clerk. And the bill is printed out, um, something called a backer, which for the House is a, a large legal size cardstock piece of paper that's blue. It lists the, the House bill, um, who the sponsors and co-sponsors are. They, each individual legislator who is, who's decided to, to jump on that bill has, you know, they sign it. Um, and then it basically just says, you know, where it's assigned to the committee on what date. And then this physical piece of paper is then handed from my office to the bill clerk's office. Uh, and then she will kind of house those bills, uh, physically house those bills in what we call the bucket, um, which is just a large uh, uh, rolling cabinet. When the committees uh, on Wednesdays, when they happen, we have the members will come, the chairs will come and physically get those bills that are in their committee. They'll grab those backers and then take those to the, the committee hearing. On the back of the back, on the back of the backer, um, it lists, uh, it's almost like a grid, and it lists the committee name. And what will happen is members, as they're signing the bill out of committee, it's, it's kind of a two, step process. There's a motion to release the bill from committee, and you need to get a majority of the members to actually agree to that. And then if you're, if you're sitting in a committee hearing, you'll see the chair start passing these blue backers or uh, goldenrod or yellow backers for Senate bills around once they've just discussed them. Any member of the committee can sign on to the bill releasing it from committee. And there's <clears throat> three three sections that they could sign. Uh, there's either F for favorable, M on its merits, and U for unfavorable. Favorable means you really like the bill. It's usually could be your bill and you really want to have it released uh, on its merits. It's just kind of a neutral position. You don't care one way or the other, but you would like to move the bill forward. And then unfavorable means you don't like the bill. Um, the key though is if you sign the backer of the bill, that counts towards releasing the bill from committee. So it, a lot of folks get confused. You know, I'm, I'll, you'll see that, say, five members signed as a U, unfavorable. Just because they don't like the bill, once they sign it, it still means it's, it's being released. 
Uh, it's more like an opinion, you know, how you feel about the bill, but it's still, you're asking that it be released uh, from committee. Um, and then once the bills are released from committee, they go on what's called a ready list in the House and the Senate. Most have, both have these. Uh, it's kind of like a holding tank of bills. And at that point, then um, the speaker can decide from that group of bills, from that group of bills on the ready list, uh, what he wants to assign to a, that, you know, then we discuss on the floor. Um, so after the vote is tallied, it's recorded, it goes online so people can see, sure. you know, fairly quickly, you know, what yeah. happens, um, then where does the bill go? Sure. So right after the, the, the roll call, um, and, you know, that's all streamed out live, um, the audio goes out so anybody can listen to that. Um, the bills uh, going back, the, the backers, which I was talking about earlier, are um, then collected by the bill clerk. Uh, she will then get paper copies uh, uh, together. So again, House Bill 55, uh, we send over like, uh, I think it's 60 paper copies of that bill. So that physically then goes over to the Senate um, and goes to the Secretary of the Senate, who is my counterpart, uh, kind of the, the presiding administrative officer in the, in the Senate. And um, she will then take those bills and meet with the pro tem, and then he will decide, it'll kind of start that, that process over again. The pro tem decides where the bills are assigned to which committees, just like we did in the House for the, the speaker makes that decision. If it gets signed, or if it if it's passed by the, the Senate, then it physically, that, that backer physically comes back to the Senate. So it kind of winds its way through Legislative Hall, comes back uh, from the Senate to the House, and then we, the bill clerk, will prepare the bill uh, to be sent to the governor. And that essentially, uh, we have some seals that we seal, you know, we place the seals on the bill. On the backer, uh, there's a nice cover sheet, the speaker, the pro tem, the secretary of the Senate, myself, the chief clerk, and some other, uh, the bill clerks and other clerks sign that, and then that is ready for, to be sent to the governor. After the bill makes its way through the chamber and out of the many hands in Legislative Hall, it has one stop left before it can be called law. I'm John Carney, and I'm the governor of the great state of Delaware. So uh, the governor is the last stop, and the uh, bill becoming law requires the governor's signature uh, for any, anything passed by the Senate and the House to, to become law. We do a pretty extensive review uh, with my staff, depending on what the issue is, whether it's criminal justice, whether it's education, something that has to do with the budget regulatory reform. Uh, whatever the question is, there's a legal review, there's a policy review. And by the way, even though it seems like the last step is when it comes to my desk and I either I affix my signature or prior to that we make a decision not to sign it, obviously we could de decide to let it go uh, into law without my signature, which has happened at times. And that's a kind of indication that you're not completely satisfied with the, the legislation, but not enough to, to veto it and send it back. You could sign it or, or you can veto it. So there's a long evaluation period and, frankly, a lot of interaction with sponsors, members of the House and the Senate to address maybe issues that come up that we think need to be 
tweaked a little bit or changed or modified. And of course, that's the process downstairs as well as it goes through the legislative process. So the end uh, isn't really the, the, the beginning of our involvement. It starts from the introduction when we first uh, reviewing piece of legislation. And then, of course, there's legislation that the administration advances, seeks out sponsors, and so that's, quote, our uh, legislative agenda, and we actively pursue uh, votes for that in House and the Senate and, and obviously line up uh, sponsors. And, of course, the end of all that is the governor, governor myself in this case, uh, fixing uh, my signature on the piece of legislation, and it becomes law. I think one of the most important things about how a bill becomes a law or how an idea becomes a law in Delaware, and it's very relevant to members of the House uh, and the Senate, is so much of the legislation that I ultimately sign comes from an idea uh, from a constituent of one of the members of the House or members of the Senate. So a constituent comes up to a member of the House and said, look, this is a problem in my neighborhood or my community. Can we fix it? Or I've been working on this issue for a number of years. Can you put it legislation in to address it? So it really is you know, participatory democracy in that sense. That's where the, law, the ideas start. A legislator picks it up, runs with it, and then uh, I'm at the end of the line. It's kind of like a, a football field, a football team moving down the line. Sometimes we're all there at the beginning, you know, handing the ball off and running with the ball for a few yards. The legislators take it down to about the five yard line or so, and then it's the governor's job to put it into the end zone if you can extend that analogy. But uh, most of the time, there's a lot of engagement uh, as the ball moves down the field. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, and on Instagram also at dehousedems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed. It's not easy to become a law, is it? No, but how I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. He signed your bill. Now you're a lord. Oh, yeah.